0: Good morning. Welcome back to Your Best Life. I'm Jennifer Haley. I'm a psychiatrist and a personal trainer and a hypnotherapist and a Reiki master and soon to be a certified body talk practitioner. And I am hoping to make this podcast all about things to help you live your best life, have a better understanding of yourself and what you need and how to better service your purpose here and all those fun things. Isn't that inspiring this morning? (laughs) I uh, am fresh back off a trip to Las Vegas for a pharmacology convention, which is not my usual purview. And it was a very interesting trip, as every trip, I guess, as every day is. And um, it was just, it was an interesting experience. But while I was there... As does in every day, a lot of things came up, just interesting things, things to talk about on here, things to have my own time reflecting on, and one of the biggest things that has, for many years, been important to me is properly diagnosing people when they have functional impairment and require a psychiatric evaluation for whatever reason they choose to or otherwise. And that was something that, you know, kind of came to light again in this three-day intensive (laughs) pharmacology talk. When we diagnose mental illness or when you get a mental health diagnosis, the one thing that is most important is, is this problem that you're coming to me or whomever with causing functional impairment? And if the answer to that question is no, then you probably don't have a problem. Even if your family might think you have a problem. Someone else might think you have a problem, a, a significant other, partner, whomever. But if you are not noticing significant problems and you're functioning, then there really isn't a problem. Um, just because someone doesn't like the way you're acting, if it's one person and in one situation, then it's... Probably not an issue. If it's multiple people in social situations, multiple people in occupational situations, you're not able to keep a job, you're not able to perform at a job, you're not able to get out of bed in some cases, then there is a problem. Sometimes I forget that. It's become a culture of patient driven care. And they talked a lot about that at this conference about how patients are now really driving. A lot of what we do. And it was in, in this context, especially talking about ketamine use for depression. And there's actually some really solid research on ketamine bolus or even intranasal. Yes, they have like a little mister, like a nasal spray. And you, you know, you can use that for um, naloxone, which is kind of the antidote to opioid overdose as well. They're starting to use that. There's instra- intranasal insulin, if you didn't know that. I Uh, Found that interesting when I learned about that. So a lot of times we approach this as, oh, you think you have a problem? Oh, you must need medication. And sometimes that is very true, and sometimes it's maybe not true, but people want it, or they think they need it, or they think that their life is going to be magically better with it. And I don't know, I'm not in their head, but I hear it a lot, and it's interesting to me how we have turned into this culture of expecting some sort of perfect life. Now, this is not news to anyone, I I don't think, anyway. And the research on these medications is, first of all, you know, statistics can be manipulated. So I'm always a skeptic when it comes to research on these meds, but if you look at their receptors they attach to their mechanism of action their bioavailability how they're processed in the body and all of the factors in theory and in a lot of times practice whether it's placebo meaning you think it is so it is <laughs> um or it's it's an actual effect i i don't know and i honestly tell people all the time i don't ca- excuse me i don't care If you're feeling better, if this is working for you, I don't care if it's real or in your head or meaning if it's an actual effect of the drug or it's just a placebo, that's fine. You're getting better. But we don't always know, and the research has pretty consistently shown that about 50% of people, um, I'm sorry, about 30%, maybe at best 50 or 60%, will get about 50% better on these medications. And in about 30% of people, and they showed it again, they don't respond at all. So why would you not respond to medication? Well, we had a really interesting lecture by someone named Dr. Jamie Woods, who is a transgender female, and she was absolutely just the most entertaining, well-informed, and wonderful speaker we had at this conference. And I don't I don't know, I don't know if she has a website or what, but her information and delivery and the way that she broke it down to make it so palatable and understandable. If anybody's really interested in medications, it's J-A-M-I Woods. She's, I think, at the University of Tennessee, definitely in the Memphis area, um, it was just fascinating to listen to her talk and, and really understand why to select a medication. And, and I, I really appreciated her talk and I thought it was wonderful or I wouldn't have been making such a big deal about it. However, sometimes those medications that we're supposed to select because they hit the right receptors don't agree with people. Sometimes people have side effects. I know for any of my psychiatric colleagues that are listening, well, Butrin is a wonderful medication, even though some people swear it helps with their anxiety. In theory, it should have very little, if any, effect on anxiety. And in about, clinically speaking, 10 to 15% of people, their anxiety gets significantly worse, their irritability gets significantly worse. It can also lower the seizure threshold. Now, I will say I've never seen anybody have a seizure from Welbutrin. However, um, there's a question about that. Recently, I had somebody on a whopping dose of four hundred and fifty-five. Uh, sorry, four hundred and fifty milligrams, which is a it's a big dose, um, and they may have had some seizure-like activity on it but I would not in a 300 milligram or less, which is a very much more standard dose. Uh, you know, I have never seen that. That doesn't mean it can't happen. That's why we aren't supposed to use it in people with eating disorders because it can make people who have bulimia have a lower seizure threshold anyway because of their electro I mean, it's just a very long medical explanation. See, there is thought behind these things. <laughs> uh, I think some people think that, you know, you just pick one and go. and And to a degree, that is how it goes. But if there are... What we call contraindications. If there are reasons maybe that's not a good choice, we definitely don't pick them <laughs> and we move on from there. So, um, back to choosing these meds and why we choose them, and people have problems with them. That's what I was talking about. So, you know, it may be that Welbutrin is the perfect medication for you because you really don't have anxiety, you do have a lot of depression, and you can't tolerate it. I've had people flip tables. Very passive, benign people become very, very angry and flip tables. I had a patient who couldn't sleep, even though they were taking it in the morning. You should always take Wellbutrin in the morning. I had my favorite, um, a man who was a patient of mine way back, who ran someone down who cut him off in his truck and pulled him out of the truck and beat him up and... Thankfully, there were no legal consequences to this, but it was an extreme reaction. It was someone who was kind of irritable and didn't have the best tolerance for frustration, as we say in the biz. Uh, and he <clears throat> just couldn't handle it when this medication, which is a little bit stimulating, kicked in. So. Just because it's the right medication doesn't mean that it's the right medication for you. Just because it hits the correct receptors doesn't mean that it's going to make all the difference and make your life better. And again, are you looking for enhancement or are you really not functioning well? And especially when we start to talk about stimulants, I'm very cautious. And some of my patients become very angry with me. Because, you know, I work for Dr. On Demand now, for those of you that are not aware of whom I'm working for. It's an online private practice. It's a virtual private practice. So I have patients in 22 states, and one of the things I love about Dr. On Demand is we cannot prescribe controlled substances, so no stimulants, no benzos. No sedative hypnotics. So in those cases, I'm talking about Adderall, Vyvanse, Ritalin are stimulants. They're things that are typically treated, uh, used to treat what we have classified as attention deficit disorder. Benzodiazepines are things like Xanax, Ativan, Valium, Clonopin. Those are medications that are used to treat anxiety. They're sometimes called anxiolytics. These are all. Uh, You need a a DEA number. You have to be registered with the Drug Enforcement Agency. They all are considered to have an abuse potential. And then the last class I was talking about are things like Ambien, Lunesta, Sonata. Those are sleeping medications that have very similar effects on the GABA system, which is kind of the, it's not the excitatory system. It's the opposite of that (laughs) to help you slow down at night. And they work on your brain, those last two classes, very similarly to alcohol, so we have to be real careful in combination with them, so it requires a special registration in order to prescribe them, and Dr. On Demand does not, our policy is that we don't do that, and I, I really like that, because I feel like if you need those meds, then you probably need a higher level of care, and those especially those last two classes, are not meant to be a daily thing. They're meant to be an emergency type of thing or an urgent type of thing or, you know, it's been a couple nights I haven't slept, so I'm going to take a little Ambien type of thing, and they're not they're not benign, and some people do take and need high doses. So I'm getting off track, and admittedly, this wasn't what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about... Um, Diag- I mean I started to with diagnosing people properly and treating them properly and looking at functional impairment and looking at how the symptoms play out in life. But uh, the original topic I was going to discuss here is actually something called borderline personality disorder which is very commonly misdiagnosed as either bipolar disorder or attention deficit disorder and there was a gentleman at this conference. I cannot remember his first name, but his last name was Aguirre. I, I could not tell where he was from. He had a lovely accent. <laughs> but he did a wonderful talk. He's based out of Boston. I think he's at Mass General. He does run a DBT program. Um, he has a 40-bed unit. And it it is a treatment that is about mindfulness. And a woman in the state of Washington came up with this her name is Marsha Lenahan, and it's it's got several components. It helps people find ways to, to tolerate stress and or distress, um, to soothe themselves, to be very aware and present in the moment, and also to be more effective when dealing with people day-to-day. Um, they call it interpersonal effectiveness, I believe. Anyway, it's it's a it's a really nice thing. It's a very comprehensive treatment. It's a pretty high level intense treatment it's it requires several hours a week to be able to go and it's not always cheap but there's more and more recognition that it's very useful. I personally did about nine months of pretty intense DBT training during my residency in addition to my normal training because there are so many times where we're misdiagnosing this personality disorder and it's it's unfortunately still very stigmatized in my profession people they the people that have this are very challenging they're very intense they're not all challenging like any illness like any i mean even diabetes there are people who are managed on one little medication called metformin that is a fairly benign thing and there are people that are on tons and tons of insulin plus oral antihyperglycemics which are helping control their blood sugar Plus, they really need dietary control, and they're considered brittle, meaning they're just—it's very easy for them to have high or low blood sugars, and they're unstable. And it's—you know—it's a spectrum. It's, it's to say you're diabetic can mean anything from type one, born with it, to type two, have to be on a ton of medications. If you're type one, you still have to be on insulin because your pancreas just doesn't work which is where insulin is produced. So back to this personality situation, it's not considered to be a major mental illness in the sense that it's not considered to be biological. It's considered to be nature, not nurture, or I'm sorry, nurture, not nature, meaning environmental. And these people are typically brought up in what's considered a very invalidating environment, and because of their behaviors they, um, and their, their upbringing and their environment, they usually make some pretty poor decisions that usually end up causing them to have extra trauma in life, and then sometimes they go on to have post-traumatic stress disorder, and sometimes, because of how intense their emotions are, they find substances or eating disorders or other things to really help them regulate their their mood and emotions so if we don't diagnose them properly they're not getting the proper treatment and if they're not getting the proper treatment then they're not going to get better and they get very frustrated and i understand that and they get very angry sometimes which they have a problem with anger typically anyway but we need to stop looking down on this and start as a profession and even as a world, even if you don't know what you're looking at, sometimes you're like, wow, that person's really intense. Or, wow, that person just doesn't seem to get, you know, how to interact with people or, oh, she's just always so irritable. And these things are all kind of the hallmark of this illness. And sometimes it does cause major functional impairments. So, in summary, because now I am droning on, <laughs> it's important to make sure you get the right diagnosis. And sometimes as mental health professionals that it takes us a little time. It's dependent on how we ask the questions, how the questions are answered, what the people are willing to tell us. It's not a perfect system on either side, but it is important to keep trying. And it is important for all of us to be open and patient with one another. And for people on my side, the psychiatry side, personality disorders got a taboo. These are things again that are characterological. They're environmental. They're nurture, not nature. And although they can be challenging people, if we don't treat what's actually going on, if we try to make it into a biological issue over and over, we're not really helping that person. And I think our discomfort as a profession. And for some reason, along the way, it became very again taboo to to diagnoses has made it unfortunately uncommon for us to be brave enough, courageous enough to be honest with ourselves and with our patients and on the patient side same same kind of thing in a way I mean it's our job as psychiatrists or mental health providers to to provide the correct diagnosis, but it's your job. Also, to be aware enough that maybe the medication's not working or, you know what, I'm not taking it and, you know, I really do have a lot of anger and, wow, this is a problem in a lot more areas than I think. So, I hope that some of this made sense and I hope that everybody just realizes that the best thing we can do is be authentic with each other and the best thing we can do is if we're having a problem... Find someone we trust to try to help us and at least be a little bit vulnerable. And hopefully our profession as psychiatrists and mental health providers, we just get better and better at this and more and more honest and open with ourselves. If you have questions about any of that, again, I'm out here. Haley at gmail.com. I'm really hoping to get a specific talk about borderline personality disorder going. I still haven't done my Body Talk podcast, and I am going to be in Mexico in March, and will be hopefully certifying at that time. I've really got high hopes for that, and know that that treatment is so effective for people also. It's a very different treatment than what we were just talking about with the medications and the traditional psychotherapy, But it's very effective in its own way. So I hope everyone is well. Happy President's Day weekend, a day late. And be well, take care of each other, and I will see or talk to you, I guess, is a better way to say it soon.